Welcome back, Tomb Believers, to Tomb of Ideas, episode 57. But that isn't ketchup you see splattering the walls, because we are covering two tales of hairy, scary lupine heroes with Werewolf by Night, number 19, and Creature on the Loose, number 30, featuring Manwolf and... And that gentleman you heard first howling at the moon, of course, is my uh, hairy, scary co-host, looking more like a werewolf every day in quarantine, Trey Lawson. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm excited about this. I am always a fan of werewolf stories, and so uh, it's nice to have an episode that's devoted entirely to them. Thank you, Trey. And of course, I am the completely clean-shaven in every way, James Hickson. But before I give you a chance to get an image out of your head, we're going to go straight into... Hellstrom Watch! <laughs> so it, it's sort of a light uh, light week for us. We'll start with the, uh, the most solidly confirmed thing, I guess, and that is that we have confirmation that Deadpool 3 will be released by Disney, and it's going to be rated R. Yeah, which, you know, for a while there, people were thinking that that wasn't going to be the case. That there's no way that Disney's mm-hmm. going to put out an R-rated Deadpool movie. And apparently, yeah, they are. Well, and, and you know, I it, it kind of makes sense to me. Like, I, I, I was never as skeptical, because it's not like... It's not like they're releasing an R-rated movie under the Disney banner. Like, it's not like the first thing you see when the movie starts is going to be, like, the castle with the star flying over it and all. You know, like, it's Marvel Studios. It'll have the Marvel Studios production logo in front of it. And that's... Disney's been doing that since the the 90s, you know? Uh, They had all of those other uh, labels and imprints and and studio logos they could use. Specifically when... Touchstone, exactly. Or or, uh, Hollywood Pictures before that. Uh, they, they had several of them that they would use for anything that was maybe a little too grown up for Disney. Yeah. So I don't see why Marvel Studios, which which already lived in PG-13 territory, couldn't occasionally dip its toe into R-rated fare as well. I could see the parent protest now, though. That, like, I've taken my sure. kid to see every MCU movie, and now I can't take it them. Also helps. It also helps that it's a part three. If you haven't figured out by now what Deadpool is, it's your fault. From what I've heard from my theater-working friends, that is an ongoing issue. I, But I think that's something that makes sense. I can see confusion with the first Deadpool, because that character has shown up in animated series and things. Okay. So, so I can see maybe the confusion with the first one. By the second one, you know, it's sort of fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, I don't know. Deadpool regenerates again and kills you. <laughs> like, I mean, when so, you have char- the character addressing the fact that my movie's not for kids. 
Mm-hmm. Like, like that's that's in the trailers. Yes. Like, <laughs> in fact, they Deadpool two. They straight up had to release like a different cut of it to to home video specifically to make it so that more people could see it. Right, and that's um, the Deadpool version. That's actually the first and second movie cut together into one movie with all the mm-hmm. bad wordy dirties cut out. Because you have to put them together, because otherwise there's not enough content that's appropriate. Right, right. It's it's like watching the TV edit of Pulp Fiction or something. Ooh. Oh, you've never done that? No! It has some of my favorite overdubs, like, to cover profanity of all time. I, I'm afraid to ask. Uh, the, I don't think John Travolta was available to re-record his dialogue. Oh. Because the voice sounds like someone doing an imitation of Welcome Back Cotter era John Travolta. (laughs) It's great. That's barging stupid. The movie is also significantly shorter. I imagine. (laughs) I mean, do they have the the heroin overdose at all? There's lots of edits. Like, I don't think you see the injection or or the, 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 the snorting or whatever. Like, they cut away from a lot. Which means that scenes don't always make sense. Um, although, to date, my absolute favorite... And, and TV edits are kind of a lost art. You don't see the weirdness of them as, as much as you used to, partly because more stuff is allowed on television now. Yeah. But but my favorite, uh, as far as like covering profanity, were the overdubs in Die Hard 2, Die Harder. yippee ki Mr. Falcon. Uh, Mr. Falcon. Also, yippee ki Melon Farmer. That's in there. Uh, like they kept so instead of picking one thing and doing the one thing every time, they kept changing it from line to line. What's also hilarious is Mr. Falcon actually makes sense in the plot <laughs> because there's like one throwaway line of dialogue where the villain is referred to as with the code name Falcon. Okay. I don't think it necessarily makes sense for John McClane to know that at that point, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, Deadpool 3. It, it's happening. It's going to be a Disney movie. Um, it's good. Also, and this is not on the list because I just remembered it as we started recording. Um, Professionalism. Morbius has been pushed back again. Oh, yeah. But who cares about that? I mean, like that, which is, you see why I forgot, right? Yeah, like, I, I honestly do not care. So <laughs> it, it, It's funny because it's the most relevant to our show. Uh, I guess. Yeah, yeah, fine. So it had been pushed back. It was originally supposed to come out, what, last year? This Like, in 2020? May. March. Yeah, yeah. No, May. So it, so it, it's been set for... It, it was originally set now, like... It'd be, the first rescheduling was from March 18th. Yeah, it would be out on the video by now. Right. So they had moved it to this coming March. Um, but the world is still on fire. Um, and, More so and than before, perhaps. Confined, confined spaces like movie theaters are still, you know, overrun with plague. Yeah. So um, they have moved it from March to what honestly is a more appropriate release date of October 8th. <laughs> uh, the relationship between Marvel and Sony is getting weirder and weirder every day. Yep. I, I remembered the I'd forgotten this because it's been so long since that first trailer. But I just remembered the other day, Michael Keaton's in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently reprising the role of Adrian Toomes. That was the big thing, right? That was the big that was the big thing that everybody yeah, freaked out about in the trailer that, you know <gasps> This guy from home comes uh, in it. That and the, the, the signs or whatever that, that referred to Spider Man being a murderer. Yeah. But that did not use the MCU Spider Man outfit. No. That's definitely the Raimi outfit. 
Right, right. Um, so that's the thing. Morbius pushed back again. So now we have to wait until October to see it. Darn. Oh, no. Please don't. Um, in sketchier news, uh, it was briefly rumored that Chris Evans was negotiating for a return to the MCU, which got us very excited because, as I suggested to James, that opened the possibility of the secret adventures of Steve and Peggy. Woohoo! Which would be cool. Yeah. Like, seeing what they, seeing what they got up to, like, in the background of the history of the MCU while Steve was deliberately lost in time. Yes. That would be fun. Uh, but since then, Chris Evans has denied such negotiations are happening, which is sad. Although it would not be the first time that an actor had misled us on behalf of the mouse. Yes. Um, case in point, do you remember when briefly Tatiana Maslany was insisting that she was not playing She-Hulk? Yeah. And then, like, by the end of that year, she was playing She-Hulk? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it happens. Um, also, Feige, Kevin Feige, producer extraordinaire of Marvel properties, mm-hmm. uh, did an interview where he left the door open for the Netflix heroes, the Defenders, to return in some capacity. Didn't explicitly confirm it, but he left the door open. And I think you were telling me that Charlie Cox has been spotted on the set of Spider-Man 3? Supposedly, I've seen multiple articles that referred to him having been there. Not all of them referred to him shooting or, or having rapped, but 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 they all they all indicated he was there. Yeah. So interesting. Yep. Yep. For our discussion so that's good last stuff. time, right? Um, also, we have some casting news on what is probably the most important and vital Marvel property. That's coming up. Oh, and that is—they've announced Reed Richards. No, but Ethan Hawke is playing the villain in Moon Knight. <sighs> I would pay good money if he's just a dude that found a f- box of film in his attic. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am curious what villain he will be playing because um, Moon Knight's like main nemesis in can, like the longest cons- consistent run of comics that he had. Um, was a character called the Bushman, and, and it's not particularly culturally sensitive. Probably not a good idea to do that villain right out of the gate, um, unless you're going to heavily revise him. What if he plays Jack Russell? Ah, that I could get behind that. Going back, he's a little old. Little old, yeah. But going back to um, Moon Knight's original purpose, being a yeah. werewolf hunter. Uh, wait, no, it's obvious. He's Dracula. Moon Knight's coming for his money. <laughs> Um, although, I I, I say that as a joke, but I'm going to share with you this relatively recent photo of Ethan Hawke and tell me he would not be a pretty good Marvel Dracula. Yep. I mean, yeah. Just like, you know, Ethan Hawke doesn't exactly scream to me European count. No. But. No. But he's got the look. Yeah. So... So anyway, n- no idea who he'll be. There was a there was another villain in contemporary comics who was, I think, he was like the profiler or something. Like he had the mutant ability to like like he could look at someone and sort of see all of their personality quirks and weaknesses and tendencies and and things like that. 
which was an interesting villain for Moon Knight because Moon Knight has multiple personalities, all with their own motivations. <laughs> Speaking of mutants, the first two episodes of WandaVision came out yeah. last week. Yeah. It's a really good show. It's a really good so show. So far. Yeah. And, and is... I mean, it is the most interesting departure from the Marvel Studios formula that we've gotten. Yeah. Like, it's a really fascinating way to launch Marvel Studios episodic properties. Yes. Because it's not a superhero fighty fight fight beat 'em up show. You know, like, it's it's not Arrow or, or The Flash. It, honestly, if, if anything, it's a little bit closer to Doom Patrol. It's a little bit meta because it's all about television and it is Marvel's premiere on television. I know originally right. um, Falcon and Winter Soldier was supposed to be the premiere, but uh, I kind of like that WandaVision is. Me too. Me too. I, I This feels right yes. to me. Should we go into spoiler territory? Um, Sure. Spoiler warning. If you have not watched the first two episodes of WandaVision, um, you might want to pause or, or fast forward or whatever. Uh, because we're getting into territory of, of details from the episodes. Right. Details in the episodes. And I'll put a little sound effect here for spoiler warning or something. Um, I don't know what. But you do, because you'll just hear it now! I'm sure that was brilliant. Um, so, yeah. What the fuck's going on? So, it looks like maybe they're being observed by Sword. Sword. However, dude in Beekeeper outfit makes me think that, you know, aim. aim. Right, right. But it can't be advanced idea mechanics, because we met them. They were the villains in Iron Man 3. Right. But also... Marvel Marvel Studios changes up acronyms all the time, so you could have AIM mean something other than Advanced Idea Mechanics. True. Or, you can have, you know, this be an offshoot of that AIM. Yeah, yeah, maybe they got taken over by someone else after the death of what's-his-name that didn't really matter, because I can't remember his name. Maybe a dude whose name himself is an acronym. Right. <laughs> that would be cool. Yeah. Um, kind of a, a dude and... who looks like me if I was just a, if I was just a head. <laughs> in a chair. Um, and so, correct me if I'm wrong, but the voice on the radio was Jimmy Woo, right? I hadn't thought that hard about it, but that makes sense because we know he's in the show. Right. It sounded like Randall Park. Okay. And and that's the actor who plays Jimmy Woo. And that kind of fits the role he would have, too. Mm-hmm. He, he, he's definitely, you know, your school guidance counselor. Come <laughs> to come to help you out right 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 <laughs> but but going to the, the beekeeper thing is funny my, my first reaction to that was okay this could be a reference to aim like it could be like aim's version of being incognito in in the the sitcom town yes or it could be a sign that we're going to get a sentient swarm of nazi bees because those are in in the marvel universe those are your two options well obviously the latter one's a better one now now that i've heard it I mean, <laughs> who doesn't want a sentient swarm of Nazi bees? We've had enough Nazis for one lifetime. <laughs> I mean, as long as someone's punching them. Fair, fair. Like, I'm okay with but, that. But, 
but yeah, so so I that was my first thought with with the the meta stuff was when the radio interference came through. I thought that sounds like Jimmy Woo. Okay, he didn't even occur to me because I for, again forgot he was. Um, of course, Monica Rambeau is in there somewhere, right? Although under an assumed name at this point. Yes, someone pointed out that she doesn't say what her name is until after she's touched Wanda. Hmm. So. The th- I've seen thinking... Is that an effect of Wanda's powers? Effect of Wanda's powers. I've also seen speculation that the helicopter that Wanda finds in the bushes is actually Monica Rambeau's mm-hmm. helicopter that crashed when it entered Wanda's reality field or whatever, mm. and that she is now stuck in the simulation with them. Interesting. So, oh, so many mysteries on this show. And, like... Yep. Also, I love the fake commercials. Yes, and part of the thing... They weave the mystery in, but at the same time, they do a perfect job of emulating old television shows. Yes. Well, and they have to, because it's so important to the way the show works that the style and structure and performance be as sitcom-y as possible, so that when it breaks, it is obvious that, that it's broken. Like, the, the formula has broken. Yes. I- so, like, for example, the, the dinner party in the, the first episode when Mr. Hart starts choking and suddenly the cinematography and editing changes. Like, it's no longer multi-camera. It's, like, close-ups and different angles and the music is changing and, like, it pulls you out of the sitcom because something, like, deadly serious is happening. Yes. And then once it's... And then once it's resolved, it snaps back to the multi-camera. And I think this is the most I've bought... Wanda and Vision's relationship. She credits Paul Bettany and... Elizabeth Olsen? Elizabeth Olsen, yes, thank you. Their performances are spot on. And mm-hmm. you feel and you, you appreciate the characters in a way you, I don't think we've ever done before where it's going to really hurt when Vision is taken away this time. Like, like, if this goes the direction that we're pretty sure it's going. Yes. If this goes in the direction we're pretty um, sure it's going, it's going to... I'm going to cry. Yeah. Uh, it's also just interesting to me, just from in terms of characterization and stuff. In the context of the, the sitcom, Wanda gets coded as foreign and exotic, but she's the one with the American accent. Yeah, Wanda's disappearing accent. Which, it makes sense for this show that she would she would ditch it, because, like, if she's taking her inspiration from... Mary Tyler Moore and Elizabeth Montgomery and Lucille Ball, which she clearly is. Yes. She would play up the, like, 60s stereotypical American housewife. Yes. So so it makes sense for her to abandon the accent. However, Vision, and I, I said this to you right after the episodes first dropped, sounds like if Hugh Laurie was playing Dick Van Dyke. Yes. And Paul Bettany actually said in an interview that he took his inspirations from Hugh Laurie, uh, Dick Van Dyke, and Brian Cranston. Mm. So I could see that. So those are his inspirations for his sitcom husband. Um, which, yeah, that's it exactly nails it. Yep. I just think that's funny that like Vision is the one who clearly sounds like an outsider, but Wanda is the one who gets coded as the outsider. I wonder. I wonder if this is going to inspire someone to go and make a 1960s style black and white sitcom. With just mm. with just this veneer, but minus the yeah. mystery, just a straight retro style sitcom. That '60s show, yeah, basically. Because I mean, this is just charming as all get out. 
Like, if, if this was a actual show, it'd be just comfort TV. It is. And, and granted, like, it is very aware of what it's doing and ever so slightly satirizes and skewers the formula as it emulates it perfectly. But you could totally do it without that that level of, of sort of meta satire, and it would still work. Yes. And without the underlying mystery of what's wrong. I can't help but wonder if there will if we will start to see a connection between the commercials and the episodes. Because so far it's been people who wronged Wanda. Yes. Stark and Stark. Because it was a it was a Stark missile that struck their homeland. Toasted them. And Strucker was the one who experimented on Wanda and Pietro, which indirectly led to Pietro's death when they joined the Avengers. What I'm interested in is, are we going to see Pietro? Right, right. Well, so I guess I guess we're getting some version of what's their, the, the, the young Avengers characters, Speed and, and what's his name, um, Wiccan. Yeah. Also, for some reason, I'm hearing rumors that Evan Peters is in the show some for some reason. Weird. But, like, he wouldn't be playing Quicksilver, because that's a different... Surely, surely not Pietro. No, that's a... That's the version of... That's the version of Pietro that might be Magneto's kid. Yeah, yeah. And in, in Marvel canon, they are definitely not Magneto's kids. <laughs> so wait, they aren't Magneto's kids anymore in Marvel canon? No. Whose kids are they? Uh, I don't know, but they... When, when Marvel Comics basically started de-emphasizing the X-Men and Fantastic Four as much as possible yeah. because they did not control those properties in the movies. Um, one of their retcons was they changed Wanda and Pietro from mutants to inhumans. That's stupid. <laughs> Which, the fact that they were Magneto's kids was originally revealed in the first Vision and Scarlet Witch miniseries. Yes. That was... That, that was from that first title, that, that first solo title. Miniseries. Like, shared title. Miniseries, yeah. But it, but in comics, as far as I know, they never undid the retcon of them being in humans instead. Oh, they're going to undo it. I mean, they've been Magneto's kids for, like, what, 30 years? And it makes... But they haven't been since, what, 2010, 2012? Something like that. Whenever the Inhumans got their big push. Um, I don't care. <laughs> um... I, I barely acknowledge the Inhumans' existence. Any, anytime I try to read a book of Inhumans in it, I fall asleep. So. I I don't even like the Lee Kirby Inhumans stuff. Yeah, like, even with Lee Kirby, it's just like, Inhumans bore me to tears. And, you know, I, I like Inhumans characters. There are specific characters yeah. I like. Crystal's great. I like, yep, I like Black Bolt. I like uh, what's his name, the guy who can sense the faults and things. Oh, Lockjaw. Like um, oh, Lockjaw's the best. Yeah. I can't think of his name, but the, the martial artist. Miss Marvel's fine. I don't. Sure. I don't really. Sure. I've really read a lot of her stuff, but you know. But it, it almost never comes up that she's an Inhuman, too. Yeah. You know, like she is because when we say Inhumans, nine times out of ten, all that anyone's really talking about is the the royal family. Yes. And the royal family are fine individually. Yes. But you put them together, and it just gets boring. It's sort of it's sort of like how I I enjoy when Namor shows up in a comic. Mm-hmm. Namor, but I do not enjoy I I enjoy when Namor shows up in a comic, but I do not enjoy comics about Namor navigating Atlantean politics. Oh no! Right? No. It's the same with the Inhumans. Like it is cool if Black Bolt shows up in an issue of Avengers or something. 
it is less cool when the Inhumans royal family are playing Game of Thrones in their castle on the moon or whatever. Yeah, and I think that's the problem with Inhumans series as well, where I think they wanted very much a Marvel Game of Thrones, and no one gave a shit. It also had really, really bad special effects. Really bad special effects. Yeah. It just... Mmm... Um, so one thing that apparently we can look forward to is uh, supposedly this series will actually introduce the codename Scarlet Witch in some capacity, because we've, we've never actually heard Wanda called that ever. Have we not? Nope. She's always just Wanda. Even on news reports? I don't think she ever comes up. Um, the peace conference she blew up. Mm, I'd have to go back and watch, because that, that's Age of Ultron, right? No, that's Civil War. Oh, Civil War. Right, right, right. I'd have to go back and rewatch. It's been a while. Okay. You may be right. But Fe- Feige suggested that it's not a name that's been used and that this show will find a way to introduce it. Okay. That's fair. And and of course, you know, we we know at least Wanda's getting out of this because the this show has been referred to as set up for whatever her status quo is in Doctor Strange 2 oh, in the God, Multiverse of Madness. so bad. This, this series is not going to have a happy ending. I'm just... Oh. I, I, I don't think so either. Um, I, I would I would be open to being proven wrong. Yeah. But I, I had a thought, actually. I had a thought. Mm-hmm. So if we get the kids yeah. and they make it out of this, yeah. which is possible because that's what happened in the comics, mm-hmm. um... The character who becomes Patriot is in Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yes. Hawkeye 2 is in Hawkeye. Yes. They've cast a new Cassie Lang. Yes. Kang is the villain in Ant-Man 3. Yes. Could we get Iron Lad becoming Vision 2? Don't tease me with this, Trey. Don't. Don't. (laughs) Oh. Oh. God. Like, could we get... Like, could they do... Because we're going to have time travel shenanigans. Yeah. Like, that's a given at this point, I think. Yes. We're going to have reality warping shenanigans. That's a given at this point, I think. Yes. <laughs> like, I could see us ending up with a Young Avengers team that includes a new version of Vision. Yes. But not Paul Bettany. Right. Like, they would they would cast Younger. Oh. I'm going to miss Paul Bettany. Paul Bettany yeah. is just so damn charming in this show. He is. He is. And this... He is low-key one of the best things about the Avengers movies. Yeah. Like, he never gets credit for it because he's always... His performance is always more subtle than the others. He's not as over-the-top as your your Starks and, and and that sort of thing. But he's always there. Weirdly, even though he's the talking sentient robot, he's the one who helps ground things. Mm-hmm. And I've always appreciated that about the, the team-up movies. That, and I just always get a kick out of him in vision makeup, but wearing a sweater. <laughs> Oh, the show is just so surreal. It's great. Anyway, we should probably wrap things up so that people can come back to the show. This is this is true. We actually are here to talk about monster comics, not gush about Marvel Studios TV shows. Right. So, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with our coverage of Werewolf by Night, number 19, right after this message. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, 
we could make the podcasts. That they never could. In time, you will know what it is like to cross over. To feel so desperately that the comic is right, yet to fail all the same. Dread it. Run from it. March 2021 still arrives. Evacuate the network. Engage all defenses. And get this man a cold Mountain Dew. Ooh, a cold Mountain Dew. I haven't tried one of those. Nah, nah, nah. Make it warm. Thank you. Fun isn't something one considers when podcasting an event. But this <laughs> does put a smile on my face. you guys. The Merry Marvel Marching Society. We don't know where we're going, but we're on the way. A podcasting crossover mega event in the spirit of JL May. Coming in March 2021. Covering Marvel's fall crossover event, Axe. A vengeance. A cabal of evil threatens the Avengers and the entire Marvel Universe. Doctor Doom, the Red Skull, Kingpin, Doctor Doom, Magneto, the Wizard, Doctor Doom, the Mandarin, and Doctor Doom have banded together to pit Earth's mightiest heroes against foes they have never faced before. An array of heroes face enemies they are totally unfamiliar with. But who is secretly pulling the vengeful cabal's strings? And can the Avengers take down the true mastermind before his hidden scheme succeeds? Featuring podcasts from Third Degree Burn, Back to the Bins, Avenger Spotlight, Coffee and Comics, Comic Book Time Machine, Doom Speak, Fan Holes Podcast, Fire and Water Podcast Network, Head Speaks, Into the Weird, Justice, not entirely dissimilar to Lightning, a Thunderbolts podcast, Longbox Crusade, Married with Comics, The Quantum Cast, Resurrections, an Adam Warlock podcast, Rolled Spine podcasts, and Views from the Longbox. Marching its way to your favorite podcatchers and hosting sites in 2021. Act of Vengeance, a true story. Oh, I'm sorry.
Did I break your concentration? Miramax Films asks the question, what are two hitmen, one girlfriend, a boxer, and the secret suitcase have in common? That's a good question. The answer, they're all part of the most electrifying film of the year. John Travolta, Samuel L. Jackson, Uma Thurman, Harvey Keitel, and Bruce Willis. Die, you... You won't know the facts until you see the fiction. Pulp Fiction, rated R. Starts October 14th everywhere. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas. Our first comic for today is Werewolf by Night, number 19, Vampire on the Moon. Cover date is July 1974. The writer is Mike Friedrich. The artist is Don Perlin. Inker, Vince Coletta. Letterer, Tom Orzachowski. Colorist, Linda Lessman. And the editor is Roy Thomas. During his third transformation of the month, the werewolf finds himself battling vampires on the surface of the moon. While one of the two appears at first glance to be Dracula, the werewolf quickly realizes this to be a deception. They do battle until finally, both bloodsuckers manage to sink their fangs into his flesh. We then flash back to the events immediately following the last issue. Jack Russell awakens to find a note revealing that Ma Mayhem kidnapped Liza for the committee. Just then, the apartment manager Sandy enters, angry about the damage caused by the werewolf fight. Jack's neighbor Clary arrives as well, and invites Jack to sleep on her sofa, while his apartment is repaired. Just then, Jack's other neighbor, Raymond Coker, secretly a werewolf, barges in as well, and demands to speak with him. It turns out, Raymond had found a spell that allowed him to control his werewolf curse, but thanks to Jack's interruption of the ritual, that spell will never work again. They briefly fight in the stairwell. Jack suggests they work together, but Raymond angrily rejects the offer. Later that afternoon, Jack begins searching for his missing sister. Just as he finds a clue, Clary calls and urgently asks him to meet her at the film studio. Raymond sees Jack rush out and assumes it is to retrieve a cure for lycanthropy, so he follows close behind. At the studio gate, Jack has an exposition-heavy conversation with a guard, so that Roy can remind us that issue 16 had crossed over with Dracula Lives Number 4, resulting in Dracula killing two actors at the studio. Jack finds Clary on the set of a horror movie, where she tells Jack she found things related to Geraldo Cable, the executor of Joshua Kane's estate and Jack's primary lead on finding a cure to his curse. 45 minutes earlier, in the LA morgue, the two Dracula victims the studio guard conveniently reminded us of have awakened as newborn vampires thirsty for blood. They quickly assume bat form and take flight for the film studio. Back at the studio, Clary has taken Jack to an old trunk that appears to belong to Cable. Jack opens it, and just as he sees an assortment of arcane objects, the sun sets and he transforms into the werewolf. He chases Clary from the room, but is immediately attacked by our two vampires in bat form. The chase leads them to a lunar set for a sci-fi movie, where our comic began. Just as the vampires start to bite the werewolf, Raymond, in werewolf form, attacks, recognizing Russell as a brother. The fight continues, until Raymond remembers that wooden stakes will defeat a vampire. He grabs some wooden debris from the fight, and tosses a piece to Jack. Unfortunately, without Topaz around, Jack's werewolf form doesn't retain his intelligence, and he perceives the thrown object as a threat. Raymond manages to communicate his intentions, however, and the fight resumes. Raymond quickly runs a stake through the female vampire, while Jack throws the male toward the model Earth hanging behind them. 
impaling him on its wooden frame. The two werewolves return to human form, and Jack shows Raymond the trunk of mystic items. Among the objects, they find a book, the Libro del Malditos, or Book of the Damned. Raymond recognizes it, and as the text shifts from Spanish to English, they see that the only cure for a werewolf curse is to kill another werewolf under the full moon. So, um, this cover was a bit misleading. It's a, it's a bit of a cop-out. I like it a lot. And it it works. The story works. Like, you, I figured out pretty quick what was going on. Oh, yeah, I mean, I figured out what was going on from the blurb on the cover, The Haunting of Hollywood Hills. Right, right. That That's the thing that keeps it from being a lie, exactly. Yes. It is a bit of a lie that it wants us to think that Dracula's in this book, because he isn't. That's fair. That's fair. But it's clever that it's the guy who was made up to look like Dracula. <laughs> like, there's at least an in-story reason for it. Right. Who would have thought we'd get a callback to that anthology from Dracula Lives? I know. Like, thank goodness that... That guard was convenient, bit conveniently there to remind us of all of that. <laughs> Officer exposition, you mean? <laughs> exactly. Because if not for that guard, there wouldn't have been any reason for a Roy Thomas caption to remind us of that issue. Yeah, just it's it's really fun though. Wait, what? Okay, quick question: Was the part in the in the morgue with them coming up, producer slash agent, whatever the heck he is, dude? Wasn't that in the original mm-hmm. story? Partly, yes. I don't think we get all of the dialogue, but I think the, the, the events of that are there. Yeah, okay. I think that story suggests the guy dies. Yes, which apparently Whereas they chose this one, not big, to do. This one, I guess for comics code reasons, they didn't. Or maybe they would have plans for the character. Possibly, possibly. Yes. But, but yeah, so it, it, it recreates some events from that story, but with additional dialogue linking it to this story. So, what do you think of the Don Perlin art? It's alright. It's not my favorite. Um, it's less creative. Like, we don't get any of the, like, signature transformations in a visually interesting way. No. And in fact, it actually feels like 1950s artwork. It, it, at times it in does. In a lot of ways. It even, the, in fact, I don't know that we get a werewolf transformation in this book. Like, we just see him, like, appear as the werewolf. Yes. Um, well, you have one, short one on page 22, but it's there's not much to it. Um, and it's, like, the, the close-up of the werewolf is pretty bad. Uh, really bad. But even the only thing, the only thing close to that is we do get the bat, the the vampires changing from bats or into bats, and that's not very good either. Mm-hmm. So what do we think about the coker thing going? So I kind of liked that aspect of the book. That's the that's the thing that that hooked me. Like the the vampire fight was fine and all, but but what interested me was the werewolves starting to work together. And sort of thinking of each other as at least allies, if not friends, only to at the end find out that they might, like, they now have incentive to turn on each other. Yes. And in fact, the title of the next issue is Brother versus Brother. So. Right. Maybe we'll see that. And then into the lair of the committee. Ugh. The committee. Yeah, which that's the, I guess that's the one thing that is more of a drawback for this book is it feels a little bit like filler in that 
the most immediate concern for Jack should be that his sister has been kidnapped. Yes. And he very, very quickly abandons that investigation. Yes. And they manufacture a reason for Coker to follow him. Right. Coker determines from Jack's words that, oh, Jack must know where a cure is, which is completely not something you would infer from what he said. Right. Right. We also know that, I, I didn't mention this in the summary, but we, we do briefly find out that Lieutenant Hackett is in the hospital. He went to the hospital because of the, the events of the last issue, uh, muttering about werewolves. There's a part in here that's just weird. He went off to the hospital last night, half knocked out, muttering about werewolves. You know Lou and his uh, beastly nature. The hell? <laughs> What kind of dialogue is that? Who would say that about their coworker who is like in the hospital? Yeah, yeah, that's weird and and doesn't make a whole lot of sense in context. And and then like the panel after that is a total non sequitur where he just randomly finds a piece of Ma Mayhem's sweater on a fence and determines that there is plastic flesh on it. Right. So Mom Mayhem may not be what she appeared. Right, and that's like... But then, like, two panels after that, we've abandoned the investigation. So it that part of it's weird. Yes, it is. And ultimately, what this book is really missing is the grounded common sense of Buck Cohen. Well, that's what the book's been missing for a long time. This is true. We need more Buck Cohen. Right. Just, that's just science. But yeah, as, like, again, the action is... is fun if not especially well rendered visually and it's not even that the the action is bad it's it's just that i'm not crazy about the the detail work on the characters which that might not actually be don perlin's fault because you'll notice who's the inker on this book oh it it's Valetta. uh so we've got some corner cutting going on almost certainly we've got Lines erased. I was about to say that might also explain why there are backgrounds missing from so many panels. Yes, it might. And I've got bad news, Trey. Yeah? He's the inker on the, ne- on the next issue we're covering as well. <sighs> yeah. Um, but before we move on to that, though, just a few details from the the sort of back matter, the letters columns and the soapbox and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we... There's a letter that has... A, the letter itself is not that important, but the, the PS in it is uh, asking Marvel to bring back Howard the Duck. And in the reply, they say that Gerber is going to bring back Howard the Duck, quote, in the most unlikely of circumstances. Oh, boy. Also, in a different letter, they reveal that Topaz will be coming back at some point, which that's good because one of the things that... that has been hurting Werewolf by Night is the absence of the supporting cast. Very much so. Please see Buck Cohen. Yes. There's a new value stamp, the Red Ghost and his Super Ape. (laughs) Related to the value stamps in the soapbox, Marvel continues to encourage fans to deface their comics by releasing a special stamp book to collect all of the Marvel value stamps. Which um, we have come upon more than one comic from this era that are missing their value stamps. So yes. well, and and at this point, as of this issue, if you have a completed stamp book, you get discounted admission to both the New York Comic Art Convention and the San Diego Comics Convention. Wait, 
you get discounted admission to San Diego Comic Con. Oh, then it's with worth a completed it. stamp book. With a completed stamp book, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if the offer's still good. <laughs> Those things are probably way more valuable now than they ever were at the time. Oh, do, do they need the originals? Because I've got a printer. <laughs> Just a counterfeit stamp book. <laughs> There's nothing in the text that says I can't do this. <laughs> um, some other notes in the soapbox. They mention a trio of Supergiant comics that are launching, um, starting with Supergiant Spider-Man. Pretty sure by the time they hit stand, they're all just regular giant size. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know what's up with the super giant thing. Like they were they were pitching them as even bigger than the regular giant size, but it clearly that never happened. No. Um, also, uh, just one last thing in the soapbox, just bit of trivia as far as if you're tracking where in the the development of Marvel as a comics company we are. This soapbox announces the arrival of Larry Hama as the new artist on Iron Fist. Wow. Okay. And that was his debut at Marvel, was taking over Iron Fist in Marvel Premiere. Um, sh- just, what, ten years before he completely revolutionized G.I. Joe? Yeah, yeah. That's fun. So, very cool. But yeah, so just that, that's just some stuff that's going on in and around the issue proper that I thought was, was worth noting. But anyway... We're going to keep it hairy around here with our coverage of Creature on the Loose number 30 right after this message. Hi, I'm John Wilson. And I'm Michael Kaiser. And we're the hosts of the podcast Make Ours Marvel. You know, here we are in 2018, 10 years into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, can you believe we live in a world where everyone's old Aunt Petunia knows who Iron Man is? It's crazy, right? So... To celebrate, we're on our mission to explore the roots of the Marvel Universe. You know you've thought about it. Some of you may have even done it, and now we're going to do it too. We're diving back into the long boxes of Marvel's history and podcasting our way through the whole universe. All of it. Every superhero issue. And, if I can convince Mike, we'll even do Sergeant Fury. And it's not going to be one issue per episode. That'd take forever. (laughs) It's still going to take forever. But no. We're going to talk about as many comics as we can in an hour. Yep, an hour and, you know, maybe a little change. Every week, Marvel Comics. So it'd be super cool if you came along for the ride. Look for us every Friday at MakeOursMarvel.com. That's MakeOursMarvel.com. Or on iTunes and all the other usual podcasty places. And if you want to read along with us and send us your thoughts, we might even read emails. So until Avengers Infinity War gets a spin-off Warlock in the Infinity Watch TV show... Make ours marvel. Introducing the new G.I. Joe Adventure Team. Five rugged men with lifelike hair. They're outfitted for action. And they take their orders from this man, the Adventure Team Commander. I've got a total assignment for you. The G.I. Joe Adventure Team. They'll dare anything and risk everything. Collect the new G.I. Joe Adventure Team and add to the action with Adventure Team sets. G.I. Joe, now with Lakelight here from Hasbro. Welcome back, Tomb Believers, and up next, we're going to cover Creatures on the Loose number 30, a new title for us. title of this story is Full Moon, Dark Fear. Covered it, of course, is July 1974. Writer is Doug Munch. Artist is George Tuska. Inker is Vince Coletta. Letterer is John Costanza. Colorist is Linda Lesman. Editor 
is Roy Thomas. The man-wolf prowls the streets of New York City once more, but this time he is not alone, because this time he is being trailed by the bombastic former CIA operative and current New York Police Department detective, Simon Stroud. Our chase begins as fresh from his lunar spur transformation, the man-wolf launches himself through the window of John James's apartment, landing on, and demolishing, a parked car below. A short time later, Stroud, who has been assigned to investigate reports of werewolves in Big Apple, interrogates J. Jonah Jameson and searches the younger Jameson's wet apartment. Stroud then finds his hairy quarry tearing into some muggers, scaring the creature away from the miscreants with a slug to the shoulder. After a chase across rooftops, the beast tries to take refuge on a nighttime cruise of the Staten Island Ferry to the Statue of Liberty. Following in a commandeered speedboat, Stroud cores the man-wolf on Lady Liberty's crown. The werewolf leaps on his pursuer, situated on the massive statue's torch, but a well-placed kick sends the attacking lycanthrope into the harbor below, seemingly to his doom. So, if you can, uh, look at page one, the, the opening splash page. Uh, okay. Man-wolf's posture says, I'm a vicious creature on the prowl, but his eyes say, I've made a huge mistake. Oh, yeah. He has cartoon eyes whenever we see him throughout this entire issue. <laughs> like, he looks terrified at that image. <laughs> like, whenever like, like, we see that, him. That splash page is the visual embodiment of Record Scratch. So you're probably wondering how I got here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's <sighs> so Tuska's work here. I've always appreciated George Tuska, George Tuska's artwork, and he usually does great work. Uh, but man, every time we see the werewolf here, he looks like he has like googly eyes. He, he's got these really bulging eyes with very tiny pupils. Yes. Like he's a Muppet or something. Yes. And for some reason, he has a buzz cut. Yes. The, the, John Jameson doesn't have a buzz cut, but the werewolf has but a buzz the cut. Man-wolf the man-wolf. The <laughs> man-wolf has a buzz cut. It's so weird. So very weird. But it's a fun issue. It is a fun issue. So it, it, there's not a lot to it. it. It's basically just a chase through the city. Yes. It is a chase through the city between man-wolf and this insane character, Simon Stroud. Simon Stroud. This is the first appearance of Simon Stroud. We're going to see more of him. Oh, good. Because I love him. <laughs> he is, he's a recurring character. He will be in a bunch of issues of Morbius. Oh, good. He's insane. <laughs> he's the guy who went from the CIA to the NYPD for some reason. Yes. <laughs> he's, he's a human machine gun. He goes from here to 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 here. Like, Jesus Christ, man. Like, there's a scene and where he's interrogating Jonah, and it's like, oh, hold up. I gotta go back to it, because it's insane. Oh, the, that, that scene is so weird. That is the strangest interrogation I've ever seen. He bursts into offices. Number one, why is it that every sleazy rag, rag sheet in town except yours carried a story about an attack of a werewolf? And like, well, it's been... Our, Number two, what was the center from the uniform doing an assault in your in your in your scene of your assault? Number three, is it your son an astronaut? My my son, leave my son out of this. Just as I thought, my next son, stop is your son's place. Like, Jonah barely says anything. 
Yeah, yeah. And and that combined with his interaction with the guy with the boat on the dock later, it, it, it seems to me Stroud would have an easier time with people if he occasionally identified himself as a cop and showed a badge. Yes, which to the point where... Because J. Jonah Jameson's reaction here is not weird. Stroud is the one being weird. Really weird. <laughs> Jameson is actually responding relatively appropriately, like, in Jameson terms. Yes. I also love Stroud's, like, over-the-top, hard-boiled narration. Yes. Like, so, for example, this is near the end of the issue, where he, quote, squeezes off a silenced pellet of pain. Because I guess at this point, handgun suppressors are standard issue in the NYPD. Yes. Or he held on to that from his CIA days, one of the two. Yes. Both both of which are, like, either of those options is terrifying, just so we're clear. Yes. <laughs> like, you just got an NYPD PD detective breaking down doors, firing at will yep. a silenced pistol, commandeering yep. boats, refusing yep. to yep. identify himself. Intimidating the press. Yes. And yet, <laughs> I love him so much. Oh, it, it's it's good stuff. And like I say, there's more of him. He shows up in Adventure Into Fear. I know that for a fact. Um, he shows up in the 90s Morbius comic. Um, I think his most recent appearance was during Dark Reign, when Norman Osborn was running sh- uh, what, what when S.H.I.E.L.D. became Hammer. Okay. So... That was not that long ago. That was, like, in the 2010s, I think. Or maybe late 2000s. <laughs> so, Simon Stroud is around. Like, he's not, like, a one-off guy. So, buckle up. <laughs> also, I just want to call your... I, I know I'm making fun of the art all over the place here, but uh, look at page 16, uh, where the uh, where the two muggers try to attack the couple and Man-Wolf intervenes. Okay. The the mugger in the the sort of greenish shirt looks very familiar. You you've included a picture in the show notes to make sure I knew who it looks very familiar yes. like. Yes. Um am I wrong? I, no, he definitely looks like Sly Stallone. Like 1970s Sylvester Stallone with the 70s haircut. Yes. But was Stallone a going concern at this point? He was around. He was not famous in in that sense. He had done some TV and, and movie stuff, but nothing huge. So it's unlikely to be based off. Right. No, not unless he had done like some modeling work somewhere and just ha- like someone happened to use that magazine as a, a model, you know? Okay. So it, it's possible that there were photographs of him around, you know? It's not like he's based on him because he's famous. Mm-hmm. But he honestly, he looks more like Frank Stallone than Sylvester Stallone. Like, he looks like his brother. <laughs> but that's even less likely. So. Yeah. Yeah. Just... Okay. <laughs> um, also, because we're, we're going a little bit out of order here because we wanted to put the two werewolf books together, this one does have a different value stamp. It's Iceman instead of the Red Ghost. Okay. I'm not sure if that's an improvement or not. Mm, I mean... Iceman was always my least favorite of the original five, so... Poor Bobby. And also, uh, in the letters column, just out of nowhere, this one person calls out Marvel for criticizing President Johnson, but not Nixon. Wait, which pa- which, which which letter is this? Um, it's the second page of the letters column, and it's the bottom of the, the left side. Uh, okay. For what it's worth, we this is July 1974, right? Yeah. The smoking gun tape is August. 
Wow. And this letter column was being prepared February 6, 1974. Right, right. So. So, way earlier. Way but, earlier. I mean, February. So, February 6, 1974. Like, at that point, the Watergate 7 had been indicted. Mm-hmm. At that point, like, the as, as the response from Marvel notes, there are various bodies doing investigations, but that, like, nothing has been concluded yet. There has been no impeachment. And there wouldn't the be. The president has not resigned, nor has he admitted a wrongdoing. Well, except for the no impeachment right. parts, that could be modern day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Uh, so, anyway, I just, that stood out to me, again, in terms of, like, placing these comics in the time period that they were coming out. When that letter was being written, or when that when that letter's column was being prepared, rather, like, things were still very open about the state of the executive branch of the U.S. government. Yep. But by the time this comic saw publication, things had gone very much in the other direction. Yes. And that's how quickly that went. Yes. Although, it also reminds you of how slowly it was going, because... Oh, for sure. Because we were... We talked of... Like, there there actually were Nixon references, like, in the books from the previous year. Vampire Tales with Watergate. Yeah, usually... And it was usually in the magazines. Yep. But, but there were references to politics. Yes. Um, as recently as the last Morbius story in Vampire Tales, they were still not directly dealing with Nixon, but dealing with politics in general. Like, you had, like, the sort of cynic and the idealist who were involved in the, the local political campaign. And, like, he talks about the heat. They haven't talked about the gas crisis. I'm like, yes, they have. Right. We've been talking about the gas crisis a ton right. in this book. Yeah. Like, every other story, it seems like somebody's trying to come up with an alternative for gasoline because, you know, the gas crisis. And we've not been covering the superhero books, but I imagine Roxxon has been showing up at this point. Oh, definitely. Definitely. So, and of course, Roxxon is Marvel's stand-in for Exxon. Yes. Initially. Yes. Um, so, anyway. Uh, but that that's all sort of um, tangential to the actual comic, which, again, has a lot of fun action. Um, it's almost literally propelled by this bombastic, ridiculous new character, Simon Stroud. Ridiculous. <laughs> you know what he is? He's like, he's almost like a parody of Nick Fury. <laughs> he's he's the action hero. Yeah, but, but he, he's like the two-fisted hero turned up to 11. Yes, definitely. And he's just so much fun. I cannot wait to see what other crazy crap he's going to do. And if you look at it, if you look at the art... Almost every panel that he's in, he's in, like, a Kirby action hero pose. Yes. Like, it's always Kirby-style action posture. Yes. There's no standing in repose for him. No, he's always, like, flexing and leaning and punching. Like, even when he goes in to talk to Jameson, he's like... He looks like he's about to punch him the whole time. Yes. It is quite crazy, and I really dig it. <laughs> Yes, it's good stuff. I'm not sure if he's in the next issue of this or not, but I hope so. I hope so, too. Like I say, I know we get more of him because I was aware of Simon Stroud as a character. I didn't know he started out this crazy, is the thing. So crazy. Also, we don't usually talk about this, but I actually read the backup story on this one. Oh, really? Yes, because it's How super short. It? It's really weird. It's called <laughs> it's, it's called Joe's Weak Spot. It's by... Um, okay. I guess Bill Walton and it's about like a it. dude who desperately wants to be a fighter 
and everybody's like, no, no, you can't be a fighter, you can't be a fighter, to, so he goes home, he, like a boxer fighter, and, um, right, so right. he goes home and commits suicide, and one of the guys who earlier told him he couldn't be a fighter comes with the police to, to identify the body, I guess, and it's like, I, I hate to see a man like this, but the guy was crazy, who would have ever thought he would want to be a fighter with a glass jaw, and he literally has a glass jaw. <laughs> Right, and I'm looking at it now, and every panel before the final panel, <laughs> the bottom part of his face is obscured. Yes. He has, like, a collar pulled up so that from the angle you can't see his face. Yes. Or his, in one panel, his hand is covering his face. That's just weird. So damn weird. Like, the betrayal of the glass jaw is so weird. <laughs> right, because it, it doesn't look like glass is the thing. No. I don't know what it, is, I don't know what it looks like, but it doesn't look like glass. <laughs> It's it's strange. So weird. I felt like it needed to be talked about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, that's again. I I enjoyed this issue a lot. I I was not. I thought overall the art was more consistent in this book than in Werewolf. Yes. Again, there were some weird quirks with the depiction of the man wolf himself. Yes. But but other than that, I thought it was a much more visually interesting and dynamic book. Partly again. Because of the character of Simon Stroud. So, oh. <laughs> Although, it is Vince Coletta inking again, and I right. feel like so we, are, a lot we of, are missing some details. There's a lot of undetailed backgrounds. Yes. Where I feel if maybe someone else had done this, things might be a little bit more detailed. Right. Like, even, like, the so the panel where Stroud barges in on Jameson. Yeah. I had to look at it twice to figure out what was going on there because it's not immediately clear that Stroud is pushing the door open because the door is the same color as the rest of the background. The only indication of a door is a single vertical line and the doorknob. Oh, yeah. And, like, you don't see the newsroom behind him or anything like that. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's it's all just a tan brownish background yep. with the secretary behind him. But, like, there's no indication that Stroud is entering from one room to the other. That's definitely Coletta. Yeah. Like, wow. Or, like, the panel before that, where, like, I guess he just didn't feel like drawing the detail work of Jameson's hand, so he drew the hand in silhouette with the rest of Jameson fully inked. Wow. Just, okay. It's not great. No. But damn, I want more Manwolf. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, Manwolf is fun. Simon Stroud is fun. I could watch Simon Stroud chase monsters through cities for, like, 50 more issues and not get tired of it. Right, because he feels like he's this monster in a character. Because they they go to him and says, listen, we got a werewolf. I want you to look into it. There's no incredulity there. There's no... <laughs> he, no, he's immediately like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> like... You could replace this guy with Ulysses Bloodstone, and it would it would actually make more sense. Right, right. It's just... Uh, yeah, so, like, I'm going to read this dialogue, because... So, it begins mid-sentence. Werewolf, Stroud, and don't laugh, my ears have been stuffed with guffaws. Now, since you're the hotshot boy wonder of the Special Task Force, I figure you're the best-equipped man for this investigation. You must have been an ace at arithmetic, Lieutenant, because you're fighting... You're... Because you're figuring perfect. I eat werewolves for breakfast. Which is, you know, our title for this episode, Werewolves for Breakfast. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, the the thing is, the lieutenant says cut the comedy, but nothing about that suggests Stroud is joking. 
No. He looks dead serious in that panel. He is dead serious. <laughs> as evidenced by his actions across the issue. He intends to hunt and kill and cook that werewolf <laughs> and have him for breakfast with pancakes. Werewolf bacon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Also, what special task force? <laughs> I mean, it's the NYPD in the Marvel Universe, so. It's just like, what? Also, right. no, there's there's no explanation. Like, like, do you already have a werewolf task force? Because that doesn't make sense. No, considering this is the only werewolf we've seen so far in New York City. Also, except for that one time, Werewolf by Night showed up. Yeah, well, no, no, that was West that Coast. Was West Coast, yeah, that was West Coast because Spidey was on the West Coast, yes. getting over the death of. Glenn. And yet, somehow, somehow, the werewolf still hasn't met Daredevil and Black Widow. I don't, I don't. They're always out of town. Always out of town. But, but. The really funny thing is, he's the boy wonder in a special task force, and not once in this goddamn issue does he wonder to himself, huh, I wonder if John Jameson is... Right. Well, he... So, <clears throat> he almost gets there. He comes so close to getting there at the very end, because he he just briefly notices the werewolf is wearing an outfit that looks similar to the scrap of fabric that was found at the scene of the crime. This is an astronaut uniform. John Jameson's an astronaut. Right, like, he, he never gets close enough to the werewolf to tell if it's the exact same material. and he But he knows the material that he has a scrap of is used by NASA. I guess it's CIA training? I guess. But, so, he almost gets there. He comes so very close. And, and then the werewolf takes a swan dive off the, t- off the torch of the Statue of Liberty. No, he doesn't take a swan dive off the torch of the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> Stroud kicks him off the torch of the Statue of Liberty. Like, well, right. <clears throat> Like, the werewolf tries to jump on him. Stroud does a judo kick, flipping him over right. his back. Flips him, yeah. Off the torch of Statue of Liberty. And then it's like, well, guess we'll never solve that mystery. God damn it. <laughs> That's literally how the issue, the issue ends, is, oh well, not gonna solve that one. Guess I better go return this speedboat I stole and well, fish no, no, no. its owner out <laughs> of the harbor. I'm, I'm still stuck on the giving up part, because... Oh, well, I guess John Jameson will just be missing presumed dead forever. (laughs) Because that's what, like, the reason he was investigating was that they thought the man-wolf had kidnapped Jameson, remember? Yes. Oh, well. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well. Guess he's dead. Although I never explicitly said I think John Jameson was a werewolf. Nope. Just, I am very, (laughs) I am so tempted to cheat. I am so tempted to cheat and see what the hell... Oh, look ahead. Yes, look ahead and see what the hell's going on next issue. So I haven't read it, but I can go ahead and predict that the next issue of this will be our cover image for whatever episode it's in. Okay, hold on. Let's see, that would be 31. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, fuck yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one, isn't it? It is so good. Yeah, you're probably right. That, yeah. That's, that's probably what I'm going to use for the cover image. <laughs> like, it almost doesn't matter what issues it's up against. No. Just... Ah. It's a better cover than his introduction in this issue. Yes. Which is a very, like, sort of generic monster cover. Yes. Which I feel like we've had this for, cover for Werewolf by Night before, actually. We have. Well, I think we have. Yeah. Like him crouching on... Like, it looks like he's on a rooftop, but for some reason there's people there with him. Like, it's weird. Yep. Anyway. I, I guess that's a thing people do in New York is hang out on rooftops. 
but yeah, good stuff. But and, and so we were talking about this before we started recording. What what what's your favorite book of the two? Oh, definitely the Manual issue. <clears throat> yeah, and I, I think I'm leaning your direction because of Stroud. Yes, <laughs> I think Stroud is by far the most interesting character in either book. Yes. Um, that said, I didn't dislike Werewolf by Night. I think this was a a sort of a course correction for Werewolf by Night in that, at the very least, it was it, it had a fun premise. I don't know, like the I liked the two werewolves versus two vampires mm-hmm. idea. Yeah, I liked the interactions between Jack and Raymond, even when sometimes the assumptions they make and the motivations they have don't entirely make sense. But but I thought it was I thought it was an over and I, I enjoyed that they actually bothered to tie it all the way back to Dracula Lives Four. Yes. Uh, but that said, it does not have the bombastic, driving, manic energy of Simon Strauss. No, easily the best thing Doug Munch has written for so far that we've read. Oh yeah, I, I, this you can see the DNA of what would become his Moon Knight run in some of this book. <laughs> I think that does it for our coverage of Creature on the Loose number th- Creatures on the Loose number 30. We're going to be back next episode. This episode we had a fake Dracula. Next week we'll have actual Dracula because we're going to be covering Tomb of Dracula number 22 and Dracula Lives number 7. Yeah. And until then, please, if you enjoy this show... Reach out to us. James, how can people get in touch with us? Well, Trey, they can reach us at our email address. It's tombofideas at gmail.com. They can reach us on Twitter at tombofideas, facebook.com slash tombofideas, and we do not have a parlor. No. No, 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 no. no. Never. No one does. (laughs) But we do have our entire back catalog on cinepunks.com. That's cinepunks with an X. We have just launched a whole new redesign of the website. It's awesome. It's easy to navigate. Uh, all our episodes are there, along with episodes of the other great Cinepunks podcasting group shows. That's Black Sun Dispatches. That's Cinema Smorgasbord. It's Horror Business. That's uh, Wine and Cheese. All kinds of good stuff there. So be sure to check out Cinepunks.com, where you'll find our show and a bunch of other great content. That's right. And until next time, Tomb Believers, bye-bye. Bye. You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. Until next time, Tombers, Excelsior. <laughs>